good morning, folks, again. Um, if you're, uh, you have your Bibles with you, if you wouldn't mind turning with me to the 30th chapter of Genesis. That's Genesis 30. And this morning we're taking up verses 25 to the end of the chapter. That's Genesis 30. And in a moment's time, we'll, we'll start our reading there at verse 25. If you would just hold that in front of you for a moment, um, I, I know it's been at least a week since we've been in this text together, so I'd like to apprise you again just of where we are in the narrative and why this particular section of text is so important to what we've seen before. So you remember, of course, that infamous moment where you have Jacob leaving his parents' house after he had deceived his father Isaac and, of course, had incurred his brother's wrath. We leave that, and then, of course, we come to Genesis 28, where God himself, in Theophany at Bethel, confirms the covenant blessings. That Jacob, indeed, uh, though he is a man flawed himself, though he is undeserving of the least of God's mercies, the covenant will be with him. Now, as you come to chapter 29, what you and I are supposed to see there is that not only in the previous chapter is the covenant confirmed, but very shortly thereafter, well, depending on how you look at it, seven years at least afterward, Jacob gains a wife. And that, of course, is in fulfillment of what God had promised to Jacob. Jacob would be blessed in the land of Laban. Now, as you go through Genesis 29, uh, we encounter various things. Uh, The 29th chapter is a complex chapter on a number of levels. Uh, Not only, of course, does he gain a wife, but in Jacob's sinfulness. uh, He engages in bigamy, uh, later in polygamy. And, of course, his family is riven with strife. But through all of that, Jacob is blessed with posterity. He's blessed with 12 sons. Sorry, 11 sons and one daughter at the end of the 29th chapter. So all of this, friend, is given to us that we might see that God has actually fulfilled in part what he has promised to Jacob. Jacob would have a family, as God had assured him, and that he would indeed be a father of many. Well, when we come to chapter 30, you and I are to keep in front of us that that's precisely part of what we are supposed to see as well. Here we are going to see how Jacob's wealth is procured. We're looking not only, of course, at the blessings of a family, but we're looking at the riches that God had also assured Jacob would receive. And this text, the end of this 30th chapter, is easily divided between these two themes. There's a request that Jacob makes in chapter 30, verses 25 to 36, and then verses 37 to 43, we see exactly how this blessing comes to Jacob. We see that the request was, in fact, a catalyst, and that under God's providence, Jacob would be blessed indeed. And so I want us to take up this text um, this morning with those two divisions in front of us. I want us to look first of all at Jacob's request, starting at verse 25, and then starting at verse 37. We'll look at the blessing as it comes to him. Hear, beloved, once again, the the inerrant, the infallible word of our holy God. And it came to pass, when Rachel had borne Joseph, that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away, that I may go unto mine own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children, for whom I have served thee, and let me go, for thou knowest my service which I have done thee. Laban said unto him, I pray thee, if 
I have found favor in thine eyes, Terry, for I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. And he said, Appoint me thy wages, and I will give it. And he said unto him, Thou knowest how I have served thee, and how thy cattle was with me. For it was little which thou hadst before I came, and it is now increased into a multitude. And the Lord hath blessed thee since my coming. And now when shall I provide for my own house also? And he said, What shall I give thee? Jacob said, Thou shalt not give me anything. I want you to pause there just for a moment. Because there's something in this reply of Jacob that should draw our attention back to what we found in Abram. Do you remember in Genesis 14? you remember whenever, after the battle of the five kings, and Abram again once delivers Lot from the hands of, of Ketelamar, and, and he is also there with the king of Salem, that the king of Sodom comes to Abraham and offers that he would give Abraham anything that he would desire. And do you remember how Abram responded to that? He said, I will not take from a thread, even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Abram refuses, of course, the wealth that Sodom has offered. And I think in a very similar way, you and I are supposed to see this response from Jacob to Laban. He would not have Laban here take any credit for the blessedness that Jacob receives. He would make it very evident that Laban here was merely an instrument, that Jacob's blessing was indeed from God and from God alone. I want you to keep that in front of you as we continue in this text. So resuming here in the middle of verse 31. If thou wilt do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep my flock. I will pass through all thy flock today, removing from thence all the speckled and spotted cattle, and all the brown cattle among the sheep, and the spotted and speckled among the goats. And of such shall be my hire. Uh, what's striking here is, as far as most historians can, can tell, Jacob chooses here the blemished cattle. Um, of course, there was nothing wrong um, with them in terms of their meek or their milk. Um, however, uh, these ones likely would not have procured as much profit at market as the others. Jacob here seems to be, proven, seems to be choosing here the least profitable of Laban's cattle. Again in verse 33, So shall my righteousness answer for me in time to come, when it shall come for my hire before thy face. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the sheep, that shall be counted stolen with me. And Laban said, Behold, I would it might be, according to thy word. And he, this is important, he is Laban, not Jacob. And he removed that day the he-goats that were ring-straked and spotted, and all the she-goats that were speckled and spotted, and every one that had some white in it, and all the brown among the sheep, and gave them into the hand of his sons. And he set three days' journey betwixt himself and Jacob. And Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. 
There are two indications at the end of this text that things are not well, even at this juncture between Laban and Jacob. First of all, Laban's refusal in the beginning. Laban does not want Jacob to leave. Um, This is really, um, and the reason is given to is even more uh, confirmation, that this is quite cruel on Laban's part. Uh, Jacob has a large family, and yet he has, as Jacob himself has said, been unable to procure, as it were, any kind of autonomy at this stage. Jacob is refused his request. It was quite reasonable. But the second thing I want you to notice in this text is that Jacob is the one who offers to go through the flocks to pick which part of the cattle uh, were those that were, were speckled or spotted and to leave the others to Laban. Laban evidently doesn't trust Jacob to do that. Laban himself takes that work on his own, on his own part and, and he goes through his own flocks. And then at the very end of the text, this is I suppose the third indication that things are not really well here, is that Laban and Jacob are separated at some distance. Uh, Jacob is still caring for Laban's flock, uh, but they no longer dwell together or near each other. Uh, That's an important point, and I think that's something that we're going to see, not so much this morning, but the importance of it will certainly appear in the subsequent chapter. So we pick up here again at verse 37. And Jacob took him rods of green poplar and of the hazel and chestnut tree and pilled white strakes in them and made the white appear which was in the rods. And he set the rods which he had pilled before the flocks and the gutters and the watering troughs when the flocks came to drink, that they should conceive when they came to drink. And the flocks conceived before the rods and brought forth cattle ring-straked, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob did separate the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the ring straked, and all the brown in the flock of Laban. And he put his own flocks by themselves and put them not on the Laban's cattle. And it came to pass, whensoever the stronger cattle did conceive, that Jacob laid the rods before the eyes of the cattle in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the cattle were feeble, he put them not in. So the feebler were Laban's, and the stronger Jacob's. And the man increased exceedingly, and had much cattle, and maid servants, and men servants, and camels, and asses. Now, as we look at this text, um, we, we do come to something of, of a partial conclusion. Uh, really, at the end of verse 43, you and I have the emphasis that we've been driving to, uh, really, from the time that we left Bethel in Genesis 29, or sorry, Genesis 28. The emphasis here is how God has blessed Jacob. And again, in verse 43, you have there that he is blessed literally to excess. Uh, the man here came, as Jacob told us, well, as he will tell us in chapter 31, that he came only really with the clothes on his back and the staff on his hand, in his hand. Now he is blessed beyond, um, he says here, beyond what he might have expected. He is blessed, as it were, bursting at the seams. This is the point of these previous two chapters. But it does certainly raise a series of questions for us. The first question, of course, is what do we do with Laban? 
Uh, Laban, of course, is, is one of those characters in Scripture I said to you already that he is by far one of the most despicable in the book of Genesis. Uh, nobody really uh, that I've found has ever been able to make an argument um, to, try to, to try to redeem his character. There's hardly a redeeming quality about him. And certainly in our text, uh, you see that very clearly. Here you have a father-in-law who recognizes that God has blessed Jacob abundantly. But he would, he would abuse Jacob by making that blessing really his own. In other words, he would defraud Jacob of what was quite a reasonable request so that he himself could profit from the favor Jacob received from the Lord. That's a shocking thing. It is a shocking, really a brazen thing for Laban to say that he recognizes God's blessing upon Jacob, but would keep that blessing profitable for himself. He would abuse Jacob's blessedness, as it were, to Jacob's own hurt. But that brings us, of course, back to a question of Jacob. Laban, we understand, uh, Laban is a very simple character in one sense to grasp. Jacob's a bit more complex. Now, I want to remind you what I said to you before, that, that one of the emphases in the life of Jacob, as we have it from the book of Genesis, is his affliction. I don't think this is duly appreciated. Uh, Jacob is by far one of the most afflicted characters in the book of Genesis. Um, in some ways, perhaps, you could say beyond even Joseph after him. I want you to remember that, that Jacob really functions in his, this time as a prince. Uh, you remember that the, the heritage that belonged to Jacob uh, was something that dwarfed the, the riches, the wealth of neighboring kingdoms. Isaac's wealth was, was almost imaginable, unimaginable. This was Jacob's rearing. He was reared, as it were, as a prince. And yet when you see him leave his home, again, he's left only with the clothes on his back and the staff in his hand. And then, and then after, after his father, Isaac, sought to defraud him of the blessing that was his by divine election, then Jacob goes and he, and he entrusts himself charitably to, to, his, to Laban, his uncle, soon to be father-in-law. And after diligently working for Laban, faithfully doing that which he had vowed, then Laban works one of the most despicable acts in the whole book of Genesis and, and abuses that trust. And then on top of that, as you see it in chapter 30, Laban won't even let Jacob go because Laban very selfishly wants the blessedness that came to his household through Jacob's arrival. All of this, I want you to recognize, is, is emphasized in the text and it's really right through it. This is the blessing of God, either as it was through election or as it was in its material manifestation. And time and again, men would defraud Jacob of that which was, according to God, rightfully his. And Jacob lives under that. He's an incredibly afflicted man. But I also want you to notice here that he's a man who's obedient. And again, I think this is, duly, this is unduly neglected. You remember back in Genesis 24, you remember whenever Abram is dying or near death, and he sends Eliezer of Damascus, the head of his house, to go to 
or really what was then the house of Laban, even then, to find a wife for Isaac. Do you remember the prohibition that Abraham gives Eleazar? The prohibition was simply, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. That's Genesis 24, verse 6. And then Abraham subjoins a reason to that command. And the reason is this, that God has given us this land, this land, the land of Canaan, and not that. And so the sense that Abraham has is, if Isaac goes, by the way, to the very place that Jacob will be sent, Isaac may be ensnared. Forget the covenant with God and take up residence elsewhere. I want you to notice in our text, verse 25, Jacob says to Laban, Send me away that I may go unto mine own place and to my country. I want you to notice Jacob, Jacob does not do as Abraham feared Isaac might. Jacob has not forgotten the covenant that God had made with him. He was not ensnared by the wealth, by the prosperity that he saw in Laban's house. He was earnest. He was earnest to to be mindful of the covenant that God had made. Friend, you and I are supposed to see this as an expression of piety. Um, What Abraham again feared Isaac would not do, that is remember this covenant. Jacob, after many years, and through many afflictions, still manifestly has a mind to the God who has promised to be his God. But all of that, of course, brings us to the question, the burning ethical question of this third chapter. And that is, what do we do with the episode that we see from chapter 30, starting at verse uh, 37, and running right down to 42? What do we do with that? Well, I, I won't descend into the biology of it all. Um, there's really no reason to do so. Um, I want to ask a bit more basic question. Was this perfidy? Uh, you know, was this deception on Jacob's part? Or is this, in any sense, something that could be construed as being pious? Now, I want you to notice in the text, there are two things that help us answer that question. The first question is, you'll notice in this text, there is no condemnation given for Jacob's behavior or action. Nothing's given before or after. Uh, There's not even hints in the narrative that what you have here in Jacob is untoward. That's important. Now, that certainly doesn't answer the question decisively. Um, Certainly, in certain biblical narratives, you'll find cases where something that was manifestly sinful is not explicitly condemned. And part of that is because you and I are supposed to import Um, all the other scriptures that bear on that situation um, to interpret the character. But in this case, you don't really have anything of the like. But more than that, uh, part of the text we did not read in chapter 31 tells us precisely what Jacob did and why he did it. So if you have your Bibles, just run run your eyes down a few lines, chapter 31, and we'll start reading there at verse 7. Jacob here speaking, he says, Your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God suffered him not to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be thy wages, then all the cattle bear speckled. And if he said thus, the ring straight 
shall be thy hire. Then bear all the cattle ring-streaked. Thus God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. And it came to pass at that time that the cattle conceived, and I lifted up mine eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ring-streaked, speckled, and grizzled. There are two things in this passage that help us answer the question that we posed just a moment ago. The first thing I want you to recognize here is that what we don't find in the narrative in Genesis 30, but is explained to us in this text, is that Laban apparently changed the conditions of the agreement several times. You see that there at verse 8. At first, Laban said, well, you can have all of the rings draped. But then whenever all of them were ring-straked, then Laban turns around and he says, well, then all of the speckled will be your wages instead. And so that's one of the things we don't see in Genesis 30, but something that comes out to us, of course, in Genesis 31. That's the first thing. The second thing I want you to keep in mind here is that Jacob very clearly ties his actions to the command of God. He does that in two ways. First of all, I want you to recognize at the end of this in verse verse 11, you have the idea that all of these things came to Jacob via dream. That's not told to us in Genesis 30, but it doesn't need to be because it's given to us here. Um, Here, what Moses is doing for us is he has given us Jacob's actions first, and then in in chapter 31, he explains why Jacob did what he did. But the second thing, and this is really something that is overarching in, in Genesis 30, and again, something that's elucidated in Genesis 31, is that the man continued to move as God commanded. What's striking here is that, of course, in Genesis 30, Jacob goes to Laban and says, I would return to my homeland. But as you come to the first part of Genesis 31, you find that that was also part of God's command. God had commanded Jacob to do so. We are to see here a man who is following God's command right through. And so the older commentators, and I think rightfully, saw that what Jacob does at the end of Genesis 30 is in fact according to the command of God. Uh, God is the one who had ordered him to do so, and he ordered him to do so primarily that Jacob indeed would be blessed in spite of Laban's perfidy, in spite of Laban's treachery. Now friends, we hold all of these things together. There are two applications that come to us. And the first is, is that this is a wonderful picture of how God, how God safeguards his own. Here you and I are supposed to see that, that despite Laban's selfishness, despite his power, still Jacob would be blessed. Uh, that's something that I think is quite striking and should be, should be one of the great consolations that come to us from this text. But the second is, friend, you see here a man who is ever mindful of the covenant God had made with him. And note that in the midst of that, though he's afflicted through it all, though he encountered some of the greatest afflictions, a husband, a father might, nevertheless, he walks with that before him. And as he walks with that covenant blessing in view, then, friend, you find Jacob blessed indeed. Friend, it is simply an illustration, is it not? That you and I are to seek first the kingdom of God, and then indeed all of these things shall be added unto us. Amen.
Let's close by coming to the throne of grace together. Let's pray. Our blessed and eternal God, we thank and praise you that you have given us your word. And Father, we thank you that as we see your work in the church under age, we see so many tokens of your faithfulness and of your kindness. Father, though we see here so many pictures of sin, of weakness, yet we do see the righteous, the faithfulness, the gracious works of our God. And Father, we do pray that these things would urge us more and more to be a heavenly-minded people, to be a people who rest indeed in Jesus Christ, in whom every promise is yea and amen. Father, we pray that these things would urge us to that end. We ask as well, Father, that like Jacob of old, you would grant us grace not to be distracted by the many things in this world, but truly to be fixed upon that blessed hope, that gracious promise that we have a land, that we have a city whose builder and maker is God. Make us true pilgrims in this way, we pray, as we ask all in Jesus' name. Amen.